Hey, it's Callie, and you're listening to the 32nd episode of the Hippie Haven podcast. If you're new here, I release an episode every Wednesday related to living an ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle. Previously, we've covered topics like how to go zero waste, environmental activism, preventing food waste, secondhand shopping, starting an eco-business, and so much more. My goal is to inspire and enable you to take action, both in your day-to-day routine and on a larger scale of community activism, because I believe that together we can make a difference in saving the planet. If you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you automatically get each new episode right when it comes out. Today's guest is Marissa McClellan, a full-time food writer and canning expert at foodinjars.com. In her fourth book, The Food in Jars Kitchen, 140 Ways to Cook, Bake, Plate, and Share Your Homemade Pantry, was just released yesterday. Now she's sharing with us all her tips on how to can food, what equipment you need to get started, how to troubleshoot common canning problems, healthy sugar alternatives for canning recipes, foods you didn't know you could can, and more. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode on my website, ahippieinavan.com forward slash 032. This episode is sponsored by Earth Love Box, a quarterly subscription box of eco-friendly products run by a female farmer in Washington State to help you connect with nature and live a more holistic lifestyle. You can save 10% off your first order with my discount code, hippieinavan10, that's the number 10, and if you order next month's box, it'll include a face mask from my eco brand, Bestowed Essentials. As always, thank you for supporting this podcast and our partners to help me keep the mic on. Now for today's episode. So walk me through the very basics of what is canning and how do you do it? Well, uh, canning is a process of preserving food so that um, it can be stored at room temperature and it doesn't need the refrigerator or the freezer to stay good. So, I mean, at its core, that's all it is. Okay. And what type of foods can be canned? A whole spectrum of foods can be canned. Um, at So there are two styles of canning. There's boiling water bath canning, and then there's pressure canning. And so we use boiling water bath canning. And this is the canning that people are probably most familiar with, Um, like their mom made jam or pickles, things like that. And so that's simply um, preparing a preserve, whether it's a jam, a pickle, a chutney, um, a tomato product, um, putting it into clean, hot jars, putting a lid and ring on those jars, and then submerging them fully in a pot of boiling water. And then the jars, those full jars are boiled for a period of time. It depends on how that that duration depends on what you're making. And then um, with pressure canning, um, that's a technique that's used when you're working with food that's lower in acid. So all of those things that we do in a boiling water bath canning process, those are things that have a lot of acid in them. And um, the reason acid is a concern or something we're aware of is because acid is what inhibits botulism spores from germinating into a toxin. You know, botulism is the thing we don't want to have in our home canned food. And so if you don't have enough acid in the food to inhibit those botulism spores, you instead have to kill them outright. And the thing that is so frustrating about botulism spores is that they aren't killed at the boiling point like most microorganisms. It takes um, exposing them to extended periods of um, time at like 245 degrees Fahrenheit to kill them. And so obviously we can't do that in boiling water because 
you know, at sea level, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And then the higher up in elevation you go, the lower and lower the boiling point drops. So that if you're up at like 10,000 feet in elevation, your water is boiling below 200 degrees. So you're obviously not killing off those botulism spores with boiling water. So when we want to preserve things like meats or beans or vegetables that aren't pickled, um, like chicken or vegetable stock, um, because those foods are low in acid and it would totally change their flavor to add enough acid in the form of like lemon juice or citric acid to um, make them high in acid. Instead, what you do is employ a pressure canner, which allows you to elevate the temperature inside the pot to around 250 degrees. And that is enough heat to fully kill any botulism spores that might be present, thus rendering those foods safe for shelf, um, you know, shelf stable storage. So it sounds like the boiling water method is probably easier to get into for beginners, correct? Absolutely, because you hardly need any special equipment to get started with boiling water bath canning. All you need is a stock pot. And most people, you know, have a stock pot or like, a, you know, if you're someone who crabs or cooks lobster, you know, you can use your lobster pot, your crab pot, whatever you've got. Um, you just need a pot that's tall enough to hold a rack at the bottom, have the jars be fully submerged in the water, and then have a little bit of space up at the top of the pot for the water to boil. What type of jars and, and utensils are you needing for this? Well, um, so you want to use mason jars just traditional mason jars, ball jars, curd jars, depending on what part of the country you live in. Um, the You don't want to use things like reused mayonnaise jars or commercial jam or jelly jars because those jars are often not designed for um, canning. You know, they're not designed for um, multiple trips through a pot of boiling water, whereas mason jars are. And then you want like the small equipment that you'll need. Um, you'll need that rack at the bottom of the pot, like I mentioned, for the canning process. And that can be as simple as a round cake cooling rack or a silicone trivet, something like that. Um, and then really the only other pieces of equipment you need um, are a wide mouth funnel because it'll make it a lot easier to fill up your jars. And then a specialized tongs thing that it's called a jar lifter. And essentially it looks like a very large um, corn tong but it has a curved um, end and handles up at the top that allow you to grip the jar securely and move them in and out of the hot water. Now, if a jar doesn't seal properly when canning, what causes that and how do you fix it? Well, um, if it didn't seal properly, it could be that there was some food on the rim of the jar that in, that prevented the lid from sealing properly. It also could be that you overfilled the jar because um, when you fill jars for canning, you need to leave approximately half an inch or so of headspace. Um, it moves up or down depending on what kind of thing you're making, but you need some headspace because what happens during the process where the jars are boiling is that the oxygen you trap in the headspace of that jar expands as you heat the jar. And as it expands, that oxygen vents out and so that it all escapes from the jar during the boiling water bath process. And then when you take the jar out of the canner, everything that had been sort of expanding with the heat now begins to contract. And in that contraction process, that vacuum seal is formed in large part because there's no oxygen left holding that space. And so um, if your jar didn't seal, it could be that you overfilled it. Um, you could have something on the rim of the jar or... It could be that you didn't bubble the jars well enough, which is simply the um, act of um, once you fill up the jar, you want to put like a chopstick or a plastic knife, some, not a metal uh, utensil, um, in and around the jar to 
remove any trapped air bubbles because those air bubbles will also expand and try to vent out of the jar during the canning process. And if that happens, often um, they push a little bit of product out or they change the headspace level. And so those are three things that can occur. As far as fixing it, um, typically in a bat in a canner load, you'll only if, if you have a jar that doesn't seal, it's only going to be one of, you know, five or six. And so most typically the recommendation is to just put that jar in the refrigerator and use it first and not worry about trying to reprocess it. If you are desperate to reprocess it, you can um, get a new lid, wipe the rim and reprocess the jar. Um, just keeping in mind that if you do, if you expose something like pickles to another round of heat, um, often it will really impact their texture and make them less delicious. And what if a jar breaks in the middle of the canning process? If a jar breaks in the middle of the canning process, if um, you, you kind of have two choices. You can, often you don't notice until it's the end of the canning process anyway, and so you can just let the process finish. Um, if you do notice that it's broken in the middle of the canning process, um, you can pull the pot off the heat, try to fish out the big pieces um, of broken glass, of product, and then um, return the pot to the heat and then restart the, the timer because you need to have a full, typically it's 10 or 15 minutes, a full um, period of heat exposure. Um, but it, it's, it's a bummer when it happens because it makes it, it just makes the cleanup job a lot harder. And does having hard water affect the canning process? Does it matter what type of water you're using? It doesn't matter, but if you do have hard water, um, the hard water will leave um, residue both on the jars and the interior of the pot. And one thing you can do to prevent that residue from forming is pour some white vinegar into the canning pot water, and that will help prevent um, that kind of gritty residue from building up on the interior of your pot and on the exterior of your jars. And So why do so many canned food recipes, they have so much sugar or vinegar included? Why is that? Well... The sugar, um, mo many things have a lot of sugar because sugar is a really powerful preservative. What sugar does is it reduces water activity. And if you don't have a lot of water available to things like microorganisms, you're not going to have as much spoilage. So especially those old school recipes that had like five cups of strawberries and seven cups of sugar, those were recipes designed to ensure that that jam wasn't going to spoil. Um, Partly also because back in the day, people didn't always do the boiling water bath process. They did a thing called open kettle canning where they would just take a hot jar, they pour hot product in it, put a lid and a ring on it, and hope it's sealed. And so you don't have that backup step of um, ensuring that you've killed all the bacteria with the boiling water bath canning process. Um, as far as vinegar goes, vinegar is a really potent um, acidifier. You know, So we talked earlier about how you have to have a certain amount of acid to ensure that your product is safe. And so, you know, if you're making pickles, you're going to use a lot of vinegar in large part to ensure that those vegetables will be safe for the boiling water bath process. Is it possible to use less sugar than what a recipe calls for, or will that mess up the recipe? You can use less sugar, but you want to use a recipe that was designed to be made with less sugar, not because of the safety implications so much as the other thing sugar does is it plays a really significant role in the set of various jams and jellies. So um, when you're making a batch of jam, for instance, you combine the fruit with the sugar, and then you boil it for a period of time. 
what happens is the sugar gives the jam the ability to um, change its um, physical consistency. So as you boil the sugar, the sugar becomes thicker and thicker. And as it thickens and it approaches 220 degrees Fahrenheit, that's known as the gel phase for sugar. And so as the sugar reaches that point, it starts to form a gel, which then bonds with pectin, either the pectin that's naturally occurring in the fruit or pectin you will have added to the product. And so you can certainly make lower sugar jams and other recipes, but you want to compensate for that for its role in the set by either using a low or no sugar pectin, or at least um, using a recipe that was thoughtfully designed to ensure that you're still going to have a nice product with a reduced amount of sugar. And your third book, which came out in 2016, called Naturally Sweet Food in Jars, it covers canning recipes that are sweetened without refined sugars. What are some of those alternatives to use instead of sugar? Yeah, um, I in that book, I use honey, um, maple, agave, coconut sugar, fruit juice concentrates, and dried fruits. And they all have, you know, pluses and minuses. You know, you don't have as much color protection because sugar does help protect color, but you obviously have products that you feel better about eating because they don't have as much sugar in them. Um, and they all, all of those sweeteners bring a lot of flavor to the party too. So um, that's a fun element um, that you get when you're using those alternative sweeteners that you get the flavor of them as well as their sweetness. What's one of the most unusual and, and favorite of yours recipes from that book? I think one of my favorites is I have a strawberry cocoa jam that's sweetened with coconut sugar in that book. And it's really unusual. Um, and the thing that I like so much about it is that strawberry, so coconut sugar has a really earthy flavor. Um, it sort of tastes like a very earthy version of brown sugar. And that earthiness doesn't naturally go very well with strawberries. But then when you combine, when you add cocoa powder to the mix, you get this really delicious strawberry, chocolate, um, earthy jam. And the earthiness feels like it should be there as opposed to feeling like it's out of place. What is the best way to store your finished jars of canned foods? The very best way to store your finished jars um, is once they have fully sealed and cooled, you want to remove the rings that you used to hold the lids in place during the canning process. You want to make sure that there's no sticky residue on the outside of the jars. So take a damp cloth and wipe them down, or if they're really sticky, um, you know, wash them in the sink. And then you want to store those jars with the rings off in a cool, dark place. And the most important thing is to look for places where there's no direct sunlight because sunlight will steal the color and the texture of your finished preserves. And so like I keep mine under my couch, um, in my front hall closet and under my bed because I live in an apartment and I don't have a basement. If you have a basement that's nice and cool and dry, that's an ideal place to store. How long do different canned foods last for? So the USDA says for best quality, you want to use your home preserved foods within about a year, but they don't go bad on day 366 or 67. It's simply that they just don't taste quite as good once you go beyond that time. I, in my experience and in the um, conversations I've had with other, you know, long-term canners is that we all typically keep our stuff for between two and four years. For if it's something like tomatoes where, you know, they're, we're not really caring about the texture. If it's a tomato puree, it's not going to lose too much over time. Lower sugar preserves won't hold their quality as long as the really high ones. 
But after about four years, there's probably a reason that's still around, and that's that you didn't like it. And it's better to just, you know, consign the contents of that jar to the compost pile and move on than torture yourself with a preserve you don't like. And how do you tell if something has gone bad? So anytime you approach a jar, you want to first give it a visual inspection to make sure that, you know, one, it it hasn't changed color radically, two, that the texture is still the same. Um, if it looks okay, then you proceed to opening the jar. And again, then you look at it and you think, um, you know, has, has it lost a lot of liquid? Has it changed texture? How does it smell? And if it, if it seems normal and fine and good, then you can proceed to eat it. If it, if at any point you think the color really doesn't seem right, or, you know, this doesn't smell right, or perhaps um, before you even open the jar, you notice that it lost a lot of liquid or um, it looks dried out. If you notice any um, like activity in the jar when, when you haven't moved the jar recently, you know, so like sometimes you move a jar and a bubble moves around which is normal. But if you see a jar that's just sitting there and you see a little bit of like, almost like carbonation moving up from the bottom to the top, that's a sign that it has fermented. And while fermented foods are really hot right now, and decidedly so, they're delicious, you don't want to eat foods that you didn't mean to ferment. And so if you see any fermentation in like a jam or a pickle that wasn't designed to have that, then that's something you want to discard rather than eat. What's a type of food that you can can that most people just don't even realize? What's something that we don't see that often? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot people, there's a wide variety of pickles that um, home canners make that you don't necessarily see at the grocery store. You might run into them at farmer's markets or um, in gourmet markets, but things like pickled cauliflower or okra. Um, I really love to pickle green beans and you don't see those too often. Um, and then there's all of the things you can do in a pressure canner that aren't things that spring to mind immediately that like you can make your own home canned chicken stock. And that's one that is a real like pantry builder, very useful. Um, so things like that. But I feel like most people are at least fairly aware of the canned foods that you can buy at the grocery store. And most of those things you can also replicate at home, not all, but most. And anything with meat in it has to be pressure canned, correct? Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. And then your fourth book, The Food in Jars Kitchen, it just came out yesterday. Tell me more about it and where we can buy it. Yeah, absolutely. So this book is all about cooking with preserves. You know, I've done three books now that teach people how to do various kinds and styles of preserving, whether it's kind of traditional or small batch or using these natural sweeteners. And so with this book, I was really trying to answer the question um, that people ask me a lot, which is, what do I do with this? And so it's a whole book. It's, you know, everything from breakfast to um, dinner to cocktails and popsicles and things like that. Um, just me really trying to show people the full spectrum of possibilities for a home preserved food. And the other nice thing about the book is that you don't have to actually have to have homemade things to make the recipes in the book. They're all designed to be used with any jam or pickle or jelly or, you know, chutney. You can buy things at the grocery store. You can get them at the farmer's market if someone has given you something. So it's a really versatile book. Um, and it's available wherever books are sold. You can order it um, from your favorite um, online bookseller. You could go to your local bookstore and ask for it. Uh, it should be pretty available, though, um, since it's new and people like new, exciting books. 
Besides canning, what are some other ways that people can preserve their extra food? Well, um, there is fermentation, like I talked about before, which is a process of allowing the lactobacillus bacteria to transform the sugars in the fruits and vegetables into acid. And so, you know, a really familiar um, ferment is something like sauerkraut or like a kosher dill or um, a half sour pickle. Um, you can also dry things. I like to use a dehydrator sometimes. Other times I will simply, um, you know, dry something in my oven or I'll even make like garlic, herb, and like lemon zest salts that you just let sit on a plate and dry. So those are some good things. You can also use your freezer. I freeze pesto at the end of every summer because um, I have a friend whose mother has a basil bed that is literally the size of a queen bed. And so every year she invites me over and I fill a two-gallon bag of full up with basil and I come home and I make pesto and then I freeze it. So I feel between canning and fermenting and drying and freezing, we've got a lot of tools at our disposal. And where can we go to learn more about you and the canning process? Um, so I have a website, which is also called Food in Jars. You can find me at foodinjars.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram as Food in Jars and just about every social media. And so I'm a good starting place. Other great resources beyond me, um, there's the National Center for Home Food Preservation, which is a really great resource, as well as um, the ball canning people. They have a website called Fresh Preserving, and there are lots of useful recipes there as well. If you find value in the Hippie Haven podcast, please share it with someone you know who'd be interested. Post about it on social media. If you're on Instagram, don't forget to tag me too. I'm at a hippie in a van. You can leave a review in iTunes or whichever podcast app you're using. And please consider becoming a patron of the podcast for just $5 a month to help me cover the cost of file hosting, editing, transcription for people who need or prefer visual content, and my own time of researching, drafting, recording, proofing, and promoting, which takes about six hours per episode. Visit patreon.com forward slash a hippie in a van to support the podcast with just $5 a month. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great rest of your day.